This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin 1 expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin 1 is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's R&R-TAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Next up on the all-new Rick and Rick. Fire up the bat signal and let the vengeance begin. That's right. It's time for the official Rick and Rick review of The Batman. With all the riddle me this is and riddle me that's. All the comic book callbacks, bat gadgets, cat calls, and car crashes. Plus all the penguin droppings you can quack, quack, quack out. <laughs> and it all starts right here, right now. On the one show where everybody loves superhero Rick flicks. And everybody rules the world. Hey, welcome one and all to a spanking new episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World. I'm Rick Matheson, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Alfred Pennyworth. I, I mean, Rick Wooden. How you doing, Rick? Doing great. I'm excited about this episode. I'm, I'm excited to talk about the Batman. Gosh, it was so weird going to the movies again. It was almost two years, almost to the day, since I stepped into the theater. So pretty interesting. We do have a Bat-tastic episode for everybody, because this is the official and heavily spoilerific Rick and Rick review of Matt Reeves, not just Batman, but the Batman, a nearly three-hour epic starring Robert Pattinson as the Cape Crusader in a story of a violent masked orphan who takes on Gotham City's underworld and finds himself pitted against a violent masked orphan out to do the same. Okay, we're going to get into more of that in just a moment. Before we dive in, Rick, what was your overall feel for this movie? You know, I don't have as much context with the DC Universe, so I don't know all the stories. However, a number of the stories they touched on were stories my friends who were big into Batman were talking about. So I kind of went in with a little bit more knowledge than I typically would with a DC movie. And I have to say it paid off well. There are certain things I think were just spectacular. And there were a couple things that I just think were pathetic. But, you know, when you mix that all together, I have to say, I think I was impressed. Yeah, I was too. Part of this I feel like is recency. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, is this my new favorite Batman or not? And then I think, okay, well, I really liked Christian Bale as Batman. Longtime listener Paul sent me a graphic a couple weeks ago that, I mean, it cracked me up. It uh, has a lineup of the different actors who've played Batman since the 1940s, I guess, and it shows their heights. And it would be hilarious to see all the actors in a police lineup in their Batman outfits because they're all over the place. Oh, really? Ben Affleck is six foot three. Adam West was six foot one. Robert Pattinson is about six feet. Same with Christian Bale and same with Dale Kilmer. But George Clooney is five eight and Michael Keaton is barely 5'8". So you mix them up and maybe the Lego Batman voiced by Will Arnett, maybe an inch tall. You got quite a lineup there if they were all put together at the same time in their bat outfits. I thought it was pretty funny. As of this recording anyway, Rick, the Batman has now made more than half a billion dollars at the box office despite the pandemic. By comparison, and I don't know if this is adjusted for inflation, but The Dark Knight made about $533 million. Dark Knight Rises, about 448 million. Batman versus Superman, about 330 million. And then Tim Burton's Batman was $250 million, according to Forbes. And so it's doing quite well, especially considering that we're still in a pandemic. I was talking to uh, a couple of listeners, Aaron and Hung, and they're millennials. And they were saying, Oh, I can't wait to go see it. And I asked them if they're Batman fans. And they were like, No, not really. But I really like.
like the actor. So I'm going to go see it for the actor. It made me kind of reflect on that and think about how, you know, one of the reasons the James Bond movies, I think, keep having so much legs is because they introduce new Bonds that are kind of relevant to the current generation. And so they've kind of extended that franchise over and over and over again because of it. And in a way, just like you were talking about with all the different Batmans, they've kind of done that here as well. Yeah, this may not have been the Batman that you would have chose or that I would have chose, but he's relevant to the moviegoers today in a way that maybe some of the other ones wouldn't be. I thought that was kind of insightful that they were seeing it not only just because it was a Batman, but because of the actor who was in it. Apparently, Robert Pattinson and the guy who plays um, Daredevil and Andrew Garfield, who plays Spider-Man, apparently they were all like good friends growing up. I think even maybe as far back as high school. Wow, and, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and he took off with Twilight and he was in an interview or something and he said that you know his friends kind of blew him off after that because it was like weird to have him around because he's a big star and then they asked them about it a different interview and they're like oh hell no we invited him everywhere because it was like instant chick magnet essentially of course we're going to invite him okay so the plot here it is a very much a love story and b kind of a meditation on wealth and privilege with sort of the opposite numbers here bruce wayne and i think it was edward nashton in this uh, the riddler has had different names in other media who were both orphaned as children one with all the trappings of vast wealth and the other in an orphanage one grows up vowing to fight Gotham's seedy underworld and the other going after that underworld's real patrons Gotham's political and financial elite along the way rich kid Bruce Wayne meets orphaned cat lady a Selena Kyle and they fall in love or at least they would if she came first and not Jim Gordon's infernal bat signal there's at least half a dozen story arcs from the comics combined here in this movie I felt like it was a really really long movie I do have to say that I think it could have been broken into two movies and I would have been just fine with that it was a little bit long and even with that it felt like there was a couple times where things ended abruptly there was probably a little more scene to it that could have been done but yeah it was it was long in fact someone joked part of this is based on the storyline the long Halloween and this movie opens a Halloween goes three hours long so it's a very long Halloween in Gotham City <laughs> uh, awesome. in terms of performances we talked about Robert Pattinson I felt like he was even better in Tenet than he is here but I was impressed that they're very different characters sometimes you see actors play themselves in all their movies yeah. it's their persona and he is not yeah and he did not do that and I think he inhabits these characters in a really interesting way I kind of I kind of agree and disagree with you there I think Robert Pattinson played a really really good Batman and it was unique it was different it was his own he owned it and I, I really liked it I actually didn't like his Bruce Wayne character I, I felt like it was like every character he played in as a vampire before like it was very broody it was very dark to me it didn't quite fit I mean it, it felt like you know there were two completely different people not an extension of the same so while I really really did like how he played Batman I, I didn't quite have the same reaction when he was playing Bruce Wayne did you, did you pick up on any of that? I did but partially because I had read before that some people took issues with his Bruce Wayne only because oftentimes we see the more flamboyant persona that he puts on right. as Bruce Wayne and here we don't see any of that affectation he is just emo you know as Bruce Wayne you know exactly. the whole time. Emo's perfect yeah in any in 
incarnation of Bruce Wayne that I'd seen, this wasn't it. Yeah, there was times where he was depressed and upset and maybe even, you know, quasi-suicidal, but this was different and it just seemed brooding and emo and just didn't quite fit for me. I, I thought it was a little bit odd. Like every time he was playing Batman, I was like, yeah, it's great. And then he'd play Bruce Wayne. I'm like, oh, there you go. There's Twilight. You know, you said that other people have said this as well, but I, I think I'm going to have to agree with them. I, I don't think he was quite as strong as a Bruce Wayne. I do hear you there. The story arc that the character goes through when the Riddler gang member calls himself Vengeance and he starts to realize, I don't want to be Vengeance. I need to take all the ways that I've been broken. I need to channel that into something positive and become a hero. I think that they've set the stage for him to start to bifurcate his Batman persona and a pretend Bruce Wayne in future movies, if that's the plan. I just didn't pick up on that. He just seemed depressed the whole time until the very end of the movie. Yeah, and in fact, you just you just triggered it for me because that that's actually, I think, what my issue was. I'm having a hard time making the jump between somebody who is emo and depressed like Bruce Wayne <laughs> being a yeah. Batman. Yeah. Whereas before, you know, there, there was the anger or there was the passion or there was the vengefulness. There was the whatever that helped you kind of, you know, had a common thread that connected the two characters. I felt yeah. that they were completely independent here and I, I couldn't find that thread between the two of them. Like I said, I think if they were planning to set the stage for him to play Bruce Wayne in the future, that different character he plays, they didn't do a great job of it. The Riddler, I think at one point when he's in Arkham Asylum says something like, the mask is not a mask, it is the real person for himself and right. for Batman. And that is true of the character. The Batman is who this person is. Bruce Wayne doesn't exist. He's a character that the person plays. You know, And they had his voiceover in the movie, so they could have touched on it in voiceover, just saying, you know, maybe I need to play a character in Bruce. It just didn't deliver on it. The other thing that didn't quite work for me is they had the kind of interior story arc of him and his relationship with Alfred. Andy Serkis is Alfred in this. Matt Reeves directed the Planet of the Apes movies, and in that, Andy Serkis is Caesar. Exactly. Um, here, he kind of puts down Alfred all along, like, you're not really a Wayne, what do you know, blah, blah, blah. But then at the end, acknowledges that there was some kind of hurt and fear in him, and he really does see Alfred as a family member, a, you know, a father figure even. That wasn't set up at all. I didn't really buy that scene in the hospital where he kind of was going, you know, the realization that I need to embrace the people that I care about. Right. I just didn't buy the, the storyline for them much at all. And I felt like Andy Serkis was underutilized in the role too. Alfred's actually a badass character. And yeah. in here, he's, he seems to be that version of the character where he was, you know, XMI6 and trained Bruce, exactly. you know, to be a fighter and would have loved to see more of that. You know, me too. And this is, this is what I actually meant when I said that I felt like it could have been split into two movies and there could have been a little bit more. Like it felt totally. like I would have loved to see a, a few more flashbacks about, you know, Alfred raising Bruce and, you know, the training and, you know, that it would have been interesting to see how, you know, he helped shape who Bruce Wayne and Batman is. Yeah. There's an animated series, and I want to say it's on HBO Max, uh, called Beware the Batman. I don't know when this came out, but they play much more into that relationship in a far stronger way than this movie does. The series is fantastic, and it's a much younger and, and beefier Alfred in it. Definitely worth checking out. It's a very entertaining series. I have seen this, and you're right. I, now that you say that, I remember, you know, my, my, my kids were still young enough at the time when this came out. I think it was 2013 that we watched it together, and uh, it was very good. Yeah. Okay, so Zoe Kravitz, I, I thought she was great as Catwoman, and I liked the interplay and the chemistry between the two characters. I think they got a lot of what's in the comics right. I don't know if she had a stunt double, but I loved her fight scenes. I thought she had great attitude. You know, she was another orphan and grew up 
up sort of hard scrabble and she makes comments about and it's true to the character about gotham's elite and you know that they're just as corrupt as actual hardcore criminals and, and that kind of thing so I, I really liked a lot of that i did read somebody saying that there's a lot of them breathing in each other's mouths i didn't really notice that that much oh, it didn't seem fake to funny. me yeah i did i didn't catch that at all I, and i think that to the extent it was there i think it worked and you felt some chemistry between them so, you know for whatever reason he reminds me the most of adam west's batman in the mask the mask itself i had to look that up because i had the same reaction after I, I saw it did you did you figure out why was there some official story behind it I, not as much as there was an official story but one of the elements on the mask i'm i saw it but i didn't see it kind of thing the nose is actually kind of a square cutout uh, just like they had in the in the original series what i liked about this uniform too is the tim burton batman michael keaton's uniform you could tell the head was too large for the outfit but two you could tell he couldn't move his head he couldn't look side to side or look up and so there was nothing functional about that and this felt like almost believable that he could fight i mean sure the cape that's just you know asking to get killed but i believed him fighting and and you know i didn't realize man the thing was like deflecting machine gun fire and stuff so it was heavy duty armor but it was flexible and you believe that he was actually fighting yeah and you know to your point that was one of the things i really liked is you could see that it wasn't just you know ricocheting off and he's staying there super strong like there were times where he took a hard hit you know by a bullet or whatever and he got knocked back i think he even got knocked down at one point it gave you that realism of yeah there's armor there but then there's also damage that's happening in in my mind i'm picturing that underneath he's probably pretty bruised up from all that shoot the whole thing where he flew in the uh, bat wings off the building and then hit the overhang the fact that he got up again is miraculous i read somewhere that he would have been traveling at at least 112 miles per hour and yeah it would not have ended well the other one i really enjoyed was colin farrow who played the penguin i I thought his take on this was different and unique and i I really liked the way he did this in a way he kind of had a throwback to jack nicholson's little bit of craziness but then at the same time he almost had like kind of like the godfather-esque kind of approach to it as well and he kind of fused all these things together in a way that was just like really kind of cool and kind of compelling and i mean honestly he was creepy as all get out i i was was a little terrified of him yeah i like that character you could tell he was a total ass i love the car chase scene and him thinking he's got the better of bruce and i thought he played it really well especially given the prosthetics that he was wearing Oscar to whoever did the prosthetics because you could actually read facial expressions. I did find myself wondering, okay, why even bother with Colin Farrell if you're going to make him look completely different? There are character actors that could have played the character just physically, just as well. But for what I saw on film, I thought he was fantastic. What I did like, and maybe this is what you're getting at, is you saw the machinations in his mind. It wasn't what he said all the time. It was him taking things in and he would deflect in his dialogue, but you could see him thinking through. He was the one who put all the pieces together and out of Falcone under the light that ended in Falcone's murder. So I thought that was excellent. Wells is great, but is always great. Jeffrey Wright as Jim Gordon. You know, I I tripped on this one because I saw the movie and I kept thinking, gosh, this actor is so familiar and he's good. What has he played in? And as I was walking (laughs) out of the movie theater, it dawned on me Westworld. (laughs) It's like, oh my God, that was him. Like he did an amazing job. I really liked him. I 
this particular role. I hope we see a lot more of him in whatever sequels come out of this. He was pre-commissioner Jim Gordon, but one of the few good cops on the Gotham Force. He didn't know what he didn't know, just like Riddler said of Batman. He didn't know who was good, who was bad, and who what he was really up against, and was ballsy to help Batman in the ways that he did. So I just thought Jeffrey Wright was great in this. He's never bad. I have yet to see him suck in anything. How'd you feel about Paul Dano as the Riddler? I, I was kind of mixed on him. Yeah, I was too. I felt like I had taken in or absorbed too much of the hype around the movie and him in particular going into the movie that I felt like, yeah, he's fine. But I appear to be in the minority. I think most people seem to universally praise his rendition of, of Riddler. You know, I, I really liked it when it was going to almost be a repeat of what I said about Robert as, as Batman versus uh, Bruce Wayne. But when he was actually playing the Riddler, I really kind of enjoyed it. I felt like he did a really good job. But when he was trying to play, you know, his normal self, I, I kept having flashbacks to one of the interns on that comedy, The Office. And I had a really hard time taking him serious because he kind of looks like that guy that was an intern. And so it, it, to me, it was it was distracting and I couldn't quite suspend but disbelief and enjoy him in that character. As soon as you, you saw his face and it's like he was being a little crazy, but he looked goofy and you kept, I kept expecting him to make a joke. And I don't know, it was yeah. just weird. In general, the clues that he left, why? <laughs> why leave the clues to you know do this? I'm not sure I believed all the uh, mystique put around it. It's just a tidbit is one of the Joker gang members toward the beginning of the movie yes. is actually played by a kid who plays Tim Drake on HBO's Titans. He plays Robin or eventual Robin. I don't know if he's Tim Drake in that scene, but Cameron did dwell on him quite a bit and his reactions to Batman. And uh, I thought that was kind of a, a bit of fun casting there. I recognized him as soon as they started playing through that scene. I was like, that is awesome that they brought, you know, one of the characters from the live action TV series into this movie, which I think is cool. Yeah. Okay. Production mentioned Matt Reeves, great director. What is interesting is the long Halloween and several of the graphic novels and comic story arcs that the movie draws from written by Jeff Loeb, who was Matt Reeves screenwriting teacher at USC. So you can see where oh. some of the influence was coming. The cinematographer is, I may get this wrong. I want to say it's Greg, but it's spelled a little bit differently. It's G-R-I-E-G Frazier is the cinematographer. Clearly the cinematography owes a lot to Todd Phillips' Joker. I think this sort of overall feel is reminiscent of that movie, but he is the cinematographer of Dune, and I believe he is up for an Oscar for Dune. Oh, wow. Yeah. Production design is James Chinland, and the job he did on this movie it deserves an Oscar. You think about Christopher Nolan. He just went to a city, and that city became Gotham. He'd film in Chicago. Chicago's Gotham. This was not an existing city, and it was as much a character as it should be, as any of the actors were. There was such an interesting feel. It's like a city frozen in the first half of the 20th century. You know, it's there is Gilded Age buildings run down as they might have been toward the late 1940s. It's decrepit, decaying, but they still have the modern technologies and, and modern cars. And uh, Tim Burton did a bit of that as well, but I felt like he this did. was a much better job here. It was much more believable. I would agree with you there. I, I yeah. definitely was very impressed with it. The score is from Michael Giacchino. So I've told you I've been watching Fringe. I didn't see it back in the day. He did the music for that series. It's one of those neat things where you see sort of the early work. I think that was, what, 2008 yeah. or on, And that was with Bad Robot. So that team, he kind of went along with them and he did the music for the Star Trek reboot series. So all that music from the Kelvin timeline is from Michael Giacchino. He did the music for The Incredibles. I believe he was nominated for an Academy Award, but this is amazing. So think about this. Three months apart, he 
did the music for Spider-Man No Way Home and the oh, Batman. Wow. Yeah, and the music in the Batman, it really drove yeah. a lot of the energy of this movie. Yeah, no, I, I thought the, the music was extremely additive to the, the overall story. I, I, it went really well. So, I, and I hadn't realized that was him. That's really cool. You know, if you listen to it, I haven't read this or heard anyone say it, but it at points feels like almost like a subversive version of the old Adam West TV series music. Nothing like it, but there's a certain and there's a couple strains in it where it almost feels like a perverted version of that music to me. It felt like they were at least hearkening to it. The Batmobile, that was cool. Apparently, it's a late 60s, early 70s Dodge Charger, just like in the old 60s, 70s Batman comics. I thought this was cool. There was an interesting callback. I Again, I, I saw this online after seeing the movie where the rear taillights kind of came up in a fin paying homage to the first Batmobile. Well, and that little jet thing totally felt like that too. That exactly. Loved that. And the sound that it made just was awesome. They did a great job with that. And, you know, and that's actually, I have to say it, like one of my favorite things about the movies to see what they do with the Batmobiles. They're all different. They're all kind of cool in their own way. I read somewhere that the production designer, James Chinlin, the approach he took was, I wanted it to feel like this was a car that Bruce built from the ground up. Yeah. And it yeah. does feel like that. Yeah, not like the Tumblr from the other movies. One Easter egg I saw, you mentioned the Batmobile have sort of evoking the uh, Adam West series. Did you notice that when they had Alfred working at his desk, there was a, I don't know if it's a Beethoven or whatever, but a bust on his desk that looked just like the one that Adam West and Burt Ward used to kind of pull the head off of and flick the button before they went down the bat poles to uh, the bat no. kick? Yeah. No, I missed that. Yeah, there's a bust there that looks just like it. There's no way it was there by accident. It had to have been a purposeful Easter egg. What I liked in the movie is the somewhat efficiently accomplished Batman's sort of transition to realizing I can't be terrified. You see him scare the kid. You know, all the people, yeah. when he saves their lives, they're terrified of him at first, and, and then he yeah. realizes I can't be terrifying. There's yeah. a graphic novel, I want to say early 2000s, Darwin Cook called uh, New Frontier, and it's actually the story of the creation of the Justice League, but it's set in the actual era when the Justice League was formed. So it was like post-World War II, but then leading into the Space Age. And we see Batman early on, and he's very much the Dark Knight. And he saves a kid from these uh, cultists. He saves the boy, but then the boy's terrified of him. And then later on in the story, and it's years later, Superman comes to the Batcave, and all of a sudden, out pops Robin. And we see that Bruce is in a different costume. And Clark says something like, a, boy, a sidekick and a new costume. You turn over a new leaf, and he said, oh, somewhere along the way, I realized I, I need to scare criminals, but not kids. And you kind of right. saw that that arc in this movie, you know, where he's realizing, I've got to be a force of hope. I, I was impressed by that because you could see where this movie might not go there. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the articles I read, they talked about how Batman is one of the few superheroes that pretty much ignores whether or not something is canon or, or ignores whether or not it follows the same timeline. Right. It, it just kind of does its own thing. That's one of the things that makes this kind of fun is it, it feels like it has a creative freedom to take things to different places. It, do you remember the, um, the the diner scene with the Riddler? Yes. Was, so glad you said that. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's kind of funny because according to what I read online, of course, this is just people having theories. It has a, a stark resemblance to that famous diner painting that is yes. in the, uh, the Art Institute in Chicago. What's it called? The, Bull, the Boulevard Knox of Broken painting. Dreams. Yeah, that's the, it. Yeah. No, that was the first thing I thought. Wow, that's like right out of that painting. I knew that they were trying to be inspired by somebody with the Riddler character, and I, I wasn't sure who it was. And, and so I did a little bit of research after watching the movie, and believe it or not, it was the Zodiac Killer. And so there 
their inspiration for this this interpretation of it was the Zodiac Killer. Wasn't that interesting? Yeah, that's super creepy. Yeah, a lot of people said, "God, this should have been an R-rated movie," and it somehow held its punches or whatnot. But I, I don't feel like it needed to be a rated R movie, and I didn't feel like it no. was that super violent fights. No. But it wasn't like innocent victims being dismembered or anything. Yeah, you know, it, it, that's, I think that's a real point. It was dark without necessarily gratuitous violence or anything like that. Yeah, I think they balanced it well. So you know, one other thing I noticed, I thought this was weird, and so I, I had to look it up, and I, I did find that other people heard the same thing. There were a couple of scenes when Batman walked in that I swear I heard spurs. Like, he's wearing spurs. Apparently uh, it, he wasn't. He was not wearing spurs, uh, but he does have metal on his boots. He's he's wearing steel boots. You know, when he was walking into some of the scenes, you could hear that clunk, 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 you know, almost like spurs. And I thought that was, that was kind of cool, and it made me wonder if they weren't trying to evoke that idea of a gunslinger, right? When you watch it again, listen for it. In some of the scenes when he walks in, you can hear the clank of metal like he's wearing spurs. Well, you know, that would be fitting because the original character, so back with 39, 1939, he was modeled after Zorro, which was a Western character. So uh, he was sort of a modern era Zorro in those comics. So it makes sense. Oh, one other callback too is when he really needs it, he pulls that green stuff out of his utility belt. And so I'm guessing that that is the Venom stuff that Bane uses, but I don't know that for certain, but it was green. Bane stuff was green, right? Yeah. I, at a minimum, it's got to be a throwback. And it is a little crazy to think that he would have already encountered Bane at this point, you know, in year two of being Batman. My, my understanding from the comics is that Bruce had become addicted to it. I guess Alfred locked him in the Batcave for a month to detox Ooh. off of it. All right. So final grades for the Batman. I'm going to go with B. I'm going to give it a solid B. I, I, I really liked it. I thought it was a really cool take on it. I definitely think it kind of reset the franchise for the new generation, but I did feel it was a little too long. I did feel that some parts didn't work for me, like I said, how some of the characters played, and I think that, you know, they could have done a little bit more. So, I'm going to give it a solid B. How, how do you feel about it? Yeah, that's about where I landed. In fact, my dialogue to myself earlier was, damn it, did I give Matrix Resurrection a B plus or a B? Yeah, I couldn't remember. This one, I have to land it a B and not a B plus. Uh, I kind of came to the same place. I'm one of the few people that out of the last trilogy, I liked Batman Begins the best. The other two actually kind of bored me. Most yeah. people love the the one with Heath Ledger as Joker, but I love that one. And I kind of feel the same way I did with that one afterwards of thinking, great movie, but we could have stood a couple more years before another Batman movie reboot, you know? And, and I, I felt like this was good, but not something where I'm like, oh my God, I've got to watch this 10 times. So I'm going to give it a B. No question. Some people are saying that this is the best live action Batman ever. Yeah, Are you in that camp? I'm not going to say I think it's the best yet. I think that let's see where the series goes and then compare them all again. I, I'm, I can say no. And which uh, ones do you like more? I like Christian Bale a lot. One of the things that I think Christian Bale is really, really good is playing a sociopath. In a way, Batman is a little bit of that. Yes, he cares. Yes, but like a lot of his behaviors, though, he's like chaotic good. We've talked about <laughs> that. Shit crazy. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I, I feel like Christian Bale was pretty awesome. Yeah, he was. And, I think that my favorite probably was Val Kilmer. Just kidding. Yeah. Yeah, Christian Bale. After that movie, I was like, yes, my favorite Batman yeah. so far. I totally bought him, except the voice or whatever. Just, I almost yeah, laughed yeah. the first time he did it. You know, for me, the definitive Batman of all of them has still got to be Kevin Conroy, the voice of the animated series. And that's why I qualified with live action. Yeah, he's the best. All right. 
right. So we gave the Batman a solid B. So folks, thanks for listening. And let us know if you agree or disagree, if uh, we just totally blew this and it's an A and we just haven't recognized its greatness or if it's worse than a B and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And until next episode, stay safe, keep each other safe, and please keep on coming back to the one show where everybody's name is Rick. And everybody rules the world. <laughs>